Welcome to Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Simone Miller, a New York City native actress with credits in film, television, off-Broadway, and commercials. Every Monday, I'll bring you an incredible mentor in the entertainment industry, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. My goal is to encourage you to follow your dreams and give you a playbook on how to get there. Thanks for listening and let the episode begin. Welcome to another episode of Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Miller. This is a different sort of episode, guys. So I, I'm taking it back to season one. So if you have been with me for, for a while, you might know that I interviewed um, Shalini and Jackie. Um, they were the podcast hosts of the, of the Hallmark Channel's The Bubbly Sesh. And I wanted to break down what it means to have a podcast. What did it, what did it mean to have it like acquired by Hallmark Channel and like all the cool things that came with that. And this is something similar. So Claire Parker and Ashley Hamilton are the hosts of the Celebrity Memoir Book Club podcast. Now, you may not know what that is, or you might be part of the 237,000 TikTok followers they have. And they break down, you know, they're both comedians. They're both hosts. They've been doing it for a while. This is their third podcast. And they break down how they're doing it, right? How they're doing their marketing, how they're doing merch, how they're doing live shows a little bit, how um, they have a Patreon, right? So they, I just wanted to kind of pick their brains about it. But also, listen, their whole thing is about celebrity memoirs. And I love reading celebrity memoirs. They've read way more than I have. But in every episode, they delve into a new a new mentor essentially and I asked them which ones they actually think of as mentors and which ones don't really quite fit the bill right which ones maybe you know aren't quite relatable in terms of mentorship so let's break it down without further ado here's Claire Parker and Ashley Hamilton of the Celebrity Memoir Book Club podcast so welcome to Mentors on the Mic, guys. It's so great having the both of you here. Can you guys introduce yourself? Let's start with Claire. Claire, who are you? <laughs> uh, I'm Claire. My name is Claire Parker. I'm a comic in New York. I've been doing it now, I guess, seven or eight years, considering whatever you count the pandemic as, but I started like eight years ago, I guess. Um, I do stand-up, and then I also host, I co-host Celebrity Member Book Club with Ashley, and that's kind of the focus of my life right now, I would say. That's probably where you know me from. Yeah. And what was your, just, just might as well ask you, what was your first role in the entertainment industry? Like, did you just go right into stand-up comedy? Did you do something else? I know Ashley, I think was an intern, like she interned somewhere in, in California for a bit. So I was just curious, where did you start off? Like how, you know, what was your first thing? So I like, I went to school in New York and I, when I graduated, I was staying in New York and I wanted to be, I think a TV writer initially, just mm. cause that was the thing I knew. I think like anybody who thinks comedy, they're like SNL. That's sort of like, if you go to Thanksgiving, that's what every uncle is going to ask you about. And I, also cause it's so lot. easy. I feel like people just assume like you should just send them a tape. I'm sure Lauren yeah, exactly. loves you. Yeah. Everybody is like, have you thought of, have you tried SNL yet? And I'm like, okay, thank you. The most elite institution in all of comedy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they, they hadn't thought of me yet. I'll, I'll tell them, but, um, <laughs> I definitely think I originally thought the goal was TV writing for me. And I think like a lot of girls in my generation, it was like the Amy Poehler, Tina Fey models of, kind of like you write and star and direct in your own life. 
And then, but you can't actually just do that. Like there's a lot of barriers to entry and especially for being staffed as a writer. Something I don't think people realize is you cannot submit an application unless you have an agent. And then like the catch 22 that everybody I think experiences in the entertainment world is, well, how do you get an agent? And it's like by having something by, by writing already. And you're like, well, how do I write? If no one will let me write until. And so I think I found stand up comedy is like the one thing that they would let truly. I mean, you could come out of a hole in the ground that you've been living in since world war two. And they can't (laughs) stop you from going to an open mic. Like I have done open mics truly every type of person in the sun from the ultimate idiot trust fund kid to like homeless people. And we're all just in a basement together waiting for our three minutes. So it is kind of like the most democratic way to get involved. Yeah. In something. Um, there's literally no barrier to entry. A lot of them are free. You just have to put your name in a bucket and wait. And Not so much anymore. I think there's a lot less free mics now. It's it is, the pandemic really changed things. But when I started, there was definitely some places to go. And then I just kind of got into the habit. I'm a very social person and stand up by definition is very social because you have to be practicing in front of an audience. And at the beginnings, yeah. other comics are your audience. So then you get to know everybody in that community. And yeah, from there, you just start being like, all right, what else can I throw at the wall? So I've done sketches and I've done obviously podcasts and now I'm here. <laughs> That's so good. No. And, and there is the same catch 22 with actors as well. Like people will be like, Oh, just, you know, you need to get an agent in order to be seen for anything legitimate, like any film, TV show, et cetera. But you can't get that agent without credits. And so yeah. you're like, it's, it's frustrating. You kind of have to find these like weird loopholes slash like kind of what you're creating your own work. And it's not easy. Yeah. And also I think a lot of staff writers start off as like assistants. So it's still like a job. Like you still have to do stuff that like is not even considered writing sometimes just to get your foot in the door. And people don't get how difficult this stuff can be. You know, theoretically, maybe they're like, oh yeah, I've heard it's hard, but it's, it's, it's quite difficult to maneuver. So thank you. And then Ashley, can you give us sort of the same spiel, but from your side? Yeah. Very similar background. Honestly, I, um, didn't even want to be a TV writer. I like always loved comedy and the entertainment industry. And I like, went to college for film because I thought I would like be able to work in like production yeah. in Los Angeles on a sitcom. Honestly, I was like, I guess I don't know who gets to be the writers and who gets to be the comedians, but all I know how to do is like, I guess I could be the person who works in the office for comedy shows. Yeah. So I went to college for like the TV and film. Um, and then I moved out to Los Angeles and I was working in the industry. And yeah, like you said, a lot of those other jobs are just like, I don't, I mean, I think a lot of people are really passionate about them. I think realizing that like the logistics behind like working in comedy when you're not the comedian is really just Mm. a job. And I was like very disheartened by like the toxicity of the industry because it is something that's like cooler. The people who work in, I'm sure, you know, like agency mail rooms, it's actually come a really long way. I've like seen a lot of articles. They've, I don't know about unionized, but I think there was like a strike or all the assistants like banded together. When I graduated college assistants in the mail room, you had to have a degree and a lot of people had an advanced degree and you would make, I think $12 an hour it's insane. Literally sorting mail until someone like until you were able to like meet enough people and like hobnob and someone would be like, oh, there's an opening on a desk. And then you would get promoted to be someone's assistant. Like you'd get promoted to be an to assistant. To be the assistant. That was your next thing. It's insane. Yeah. And then from there, there was like a lot more toxicity and hazing. I like went on one interview where they were like, 
um, it was actually an interview to be an assistant. I was going to get to skip the mailroom at this company because it's a little bit of a smaller agency. And they were like, oh my God, so the guy you would be working for, he is really funny. He's a little bit intense. One time I saw a bag of chips come flying out of his office door and I turned to his assistant and I was like, what's up with the chips? And she was like, oh, you know, he thinks that I keep getting him the wrong chips, but the company changed the bag. So he throws them at me. (laughs) And I was like, I actually just don't think that that's that funny. (laughs) And so I had like a whole crisis and ended up like I'd been listening to tons of podcasts at the time. Cause like living in Los Angeles, realizing I might've like made an enormous mistake with my entire life. I was like just sitting by myself, listening to podcasts a lot. And I was listening to a lot of comedy podcasts, which were pretty new at the time. And I realized that you could just go to open mics. So I just Googled where they were. And there was one on my corner, like that I lived on and in Los Angeles, that's like very rare to have a restaurant on your corner. <laughs> and so I went and I became addicted to it. And then I started doing it every night, many times a night for the next several years. And then I moved to New York. I think I hated Los Angeles a lot. I, it just isn't like my style of living. I think it's yeah. like a nice. So then when I realized that I was only living in Los Angeles, cause I thought that I had to move there for what I studied after graduation. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I don't want to be here anymore. Now my thing is stand up. So after like five years in LA, I moved to New York and then I met Claire at an open mic. Aww. And we started podcasting and we had a couple of different versions and ended up with Celebrity Memoir Book Club, which is where we are now. Well, so what other versions? Because I was curious. I, I loved the fact that you had started other podcasts before this because I felt like, I mean, in a way it put you in this advantage coming into Celebrity Memoir Book Club podcast where you knew what to do and you knew what worked and didn't work maybe. So what were your other podcasts? I feel like podcasting, first of all, I just want to say is like every other medium where you have to practice to be good at it. I think people think that podcasting is just talking and it really is a different way of having a conversation. So I think it did really help that we had spent like three years having conversations with each other on mic before we started this one. Um, but we had one called hold on one second. We're talking about Britney Spears, which is right. who's tabs. And that was a podcast just about Britney Spears, which we actually ended when the information about her conservatorship came to light in 2018. Well, when it was started, it wasn't even very public information. This is like probably really early. This is yeah, way before the New York Times documentary. Yeah. I think probably a year and a half before the New York Times documentary. It was when like those, wow little like slips of information were coming out and everyone was speculating like crazy. And we were just very much, we don't really know what's going on. And if what people are speculating is true, that's something we don't want to be meddling with unless it's in a positive way, which it turns out it was true. She was like being held prisoner by her family. And then it turned, and we were like, and if it's not true, we don't want to be sitting here like picking on a woman who wants privacy saying that she's being held prisoner by her family. Yeah. No. And, and especially, I mean, I, I think that gave a lot of light to your Jamie Lynn Spears episode. Cause you're like, guys, I have all this yeah. like information that other people might not. Cause I did a whole podcast on the girl. You, like, quite um, I learned a ton about Britney Spears. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I remember when the New York times documentary came out, me and Ashley watched it and we were like, Oh, we knew all this. And we were like, are we the, smarter than the New York times? <laughs> are we the best investigative journalists in the world? <laughs> we knew this three years ago. And then how long did you do that podcast for? What, like a hundred episodes. That's a lot. 90 episodes of that show. Yeah. That's a lot for podcasts. I feel like people don't realize that it's very difficult to get to that place. And it must've been a very hard decision to end up to stop it and try something. Do you automatically have an idea for something else? 
So I will say like, ironically, like it, as hard as it is to keep a podcast going every week continuously, it is just as hard to ever call it quits. It's like this funny thing where you know that you have to be consistent. And once you get into that muscle memory of being like, we just put something out every Sunday to say like, we have to acknowledge that this is not working is yeah. hard. So we did get the, like, first of all, it wasn't growing so fast that we were like, we weren't not selling out, you know, I mean, we didn't walk away from a billion dollars or anything, but I do think we had this sense of this is not our place. Like, I think we do mm. try to want to stand by our beliefs. And we did have this other thing that I, we felt that there was a hole in the market. And so our second podcast was called, we're in a fight with Claire and Ashley and in working together and being best friends. I think at the time, like there was this time where neither me and me and Ashley had both lost our jobs. We were both single. We were both working on this podcast. We're also doing other projects together. Like we were together 24 seven and it was, we were fighting a lot and we both felt like there was no podcast or really like there's not a lot of literature out there about female friendships. And we wanted something that addressed female friendships with the same importance that everyone gives dating. So we tried to get into the, like, I just feel like nobody talks about how friends fight. Like it's a much more taboo conversation and it is, it kind of ended up just being me and Ashley fighting with each other. And that was very toxic for us. And then we have this great idea of like, I think Jessica Simpson and Mariah Carey were coming out with books at the same time. Mm. And we kind of said, okay, it's like, we were like, what is a podcast idea that is like, has like iterations built in because part of the Britney Spears problem was we didn't, there's so many experts on Britney Spears. We didn't want to do that kind of research. We were like, what is something that we can be wholly knowledgeable on that is ever changing, interesting, and like ethical. And we kind of put it on, how do you talk about, like, we're like, we call it the ethical consumption of pop culture. We started around like the rise of OnlyFans, but we were like, yeah, we want to indulge in gossip. How do we do that in a way where we are not driving a woman to a conservatorship? Like there has to be a middle ground. So this is sort of our answer. So we're not digging through anyone's trash. We're not like exploiting anyone's trauma. We're talking about the information that they handed us and that they specifically published. Yeah. So we can still make fun of it because this is what they wanted out there. No one's like leaking their texts. They leaked this story. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it really works too, because you guys are friends and you guys also like sometimes differ in opinion on things like the Josh Peck stuff. I think both of you like throughout were kind of going back and forth, but it's interesting. It feels like you're hanging out with people and you guys are having a conversation. And then in regards to that, do you like, would you ever create something like, I mean, you kind of talked a little bit about Claire, about maybe TV writing at some point, would you ever like write something for the two of you, like starring essentially? Like I could, I can kind of see that. That's why I asked earlier if you were actors. Cause I, I could, I could see you guys creating something for yourself down the line in that way. I, I that think that's our dream. Let us know. <laughs> I guess the reason I definitely don't consider us actors is because we'd be playing heightened versions of ourselves and yeah. I don't see us but I don't, I think acting is like hard <laughs> and like something yeah. people, watching someone like become a character. I don't think we've ever like really studied, transform ourselves yeah. and get into the emotional space of someone who isn't us. Like I can get into my own past emotional spaces to play me more. I don't think either of us is someone who's mother during the potato famine. <laughs> yeah. But I think I, I just, I define it all. I think there's just different kinds of acting, but I can see you guys doing like a broad city type thing. And like, you know, I think that's a heightened version of themselves, right? I don't yeah. feel like that's them, but I, I could see you guys doing something like that. But there is an acting to that. Like, there is a sense of even having to 
tap into something that happened to you years ago and then try to like create a heightened version of that scene. I feel like that's still a form of acting. So, but I could see you guys doing that one day. I hope that if that is something you're interested in, I hope that at some point down the line that that presents itself, you never know. So when you start, you started the podcast, when exactly this, this one, Celebrity Memoir Book Club? September, 2021. I think the idea came February, 2020, and we were prepared to launch that spring. And then I guess September, 2020. So there was like a six month waiting to see if everything passed and it didn't. And then we just, I mean, you, I feel like, did you always have, so the marketing strategy, it seems like now is like mostly TikTok and then obviously bring it to the other platforms as well. And a lot of the marketing I feel like is like videos, which is brilliant by the way. And so I wanted to kind of give some time to this because you guys have, I think, what did I write? Like 237,000 followers on TikTok. You guys have a Patreon. You've kind of created this community for yourselves. And I kind of just wanted to ask a little bit about that. Did you go into this kind of immediately getting into TikTok because of during the pandemic, how insane that became, or how did you guys go into figuring out how you wanted to share this podcast with people? We started a TikTok fairly quickly. I think we were a couple episodes in when we launched it, maybe like two or three episodes in because then we were at that point, what, like six or seven months into the pandemic. And we had just personally become addicted to TikTok. And we were like, this seems like a cool way to maybe try and do something. A couple of videos in, it started to really hit. And we like spent a lot of time experimenting being like, oh, this could be like a really incredible way to draw people to our podcast because you know, we've never had industry backing. We've always been on our own, just like pulling shit together. So getting in on the ground floor of like social media apps or like different ways to market ourselves is like really the only way that we have to create something without having someone like you, like we were saying earlier, like with acting and with comedy and stuff, there are all these things that it's like, well, you can do this, but you can't do that until you have an agent. You can do this, but you can't do it. You have to wait for other people to give you the opportunities. Yeah. I think that finding these little ways to like edge your way in without having to have anyone green light you are so important. And it's the only way that we've been able to do anything. Yeah. I think we got really lucky that we got in. We happened to start our podcast at the same time that TikTok still was this opportunity for like mass exposure. I think it's slowly becoming closer to an Instagram situation where growth is harder, which is sad because I think one of the great things about TikTok was the fact that just anything good could go viral. We did get lucky in that sense. And I think we didn't go in with the strategy of like, oh, first and foremost, we'll use TikTok. But very quickly, we realized that that was the strongest of all of our advertising opportunities. It is really smart how you guys created it. And it seems simple enough. And for the most part, you're in front of like, you know, like, what is it? I don't know. I mean, listen, I'm on TikTok all the time. I don't create a lot of TikToks yet, but you know, you use, I think mostly the green screen feature part. Right. And then you put like whoever the celebrity is that you're talking about and you give people sort of moments in the story. It seems simple enough, but it really is a brilliant strategy for marketing because you're getting all these people who are already famous, we're already out there. And I love your taglines. Can you guys share with the audience what your tagline is for the for the podcast? Oh, we read the book so that you don't have to. <laughs> Super smart. I mean, right away, people understand what this podcast is about. People right away understand like who you're talking about, especially with like the picture in the background. So I just want to give you guys a lot of kudos because 
I think people don't realize that like, it's very difficult. There's a lot of podcasts out there. It's very difficult to like separate yourself from everybody. And you guys are doing a great job. I I mean, I'm not that you need me to tell you that, but you know, it's not like an approval thing. It's just, I want to (laughs) admire you guys from virtually from afar. I mean, Um, yeah, if anybody's like looking to start a podcast and I have to say like my biggest pieces of advice that me and Ashley have like hard one is if you're not from The Bachelor, if you are not a household name, you have to have a value add. And I think what we finally landed on with this podcast was enough of a value add. And the thing is, it didn't come easy. Like we're literally reading a book a week to try to like make ourselves. Yeah, we didn't even talk about that. You guys do that in like two or three days, right? Yeah. I mean, I say like in two days, we have to read it and then we record it and then we like edit and then the Patreon. So it is like, we. I feel like both of us end up sitting and reading a book in like one to two sessions. It's a lot. It's a and lot. Like, obviously I, we yeah. can plan out and read further in advance because of all the other work we do to like promote previous episodes, things like that. It doesn't really fit in that way. No, it's hard. I I mean, so, and also, I mean, as you guys probably know better than I do, some celebrity memoirs, you know, are very easy to read and some take a little while. And like, for example, I'm reading oh, this one, Happy People Are Annoying. I'm finding, listen, I like him. I'm finding it difficult to get through. I just keep putting it down and and just not picking it back up. And I don't know if it's the lack of, I feel like each story doesn't really flow into each other. I don't know what it is, but all I know is that I keep putting it down and being like, I should pick that back up. Um, and now, you know, listening to your episode, I'm like, okay, I'm picking it back up. And it's only been out for a couple of weeks. So I know it hasn't been too long, but it, in my head, like there's some that are much, probably much easier to read than others. So some of them really flow. Yeah. And some of them, I mean, I think that the problem with Josh Peck's is like the effortfulness. It like makes it feel very. And some of them you would think would be quick to read because like a Jen Atkin, you'd think you could breeze through it. There's been a couple of books where I'm like, this was only 200 pages. How did it take me six hours? Whereas this other book is 300 pages and I got through it. No problem. It really Mm. is clear writing is good writing and it's hard to do it is hard to read like write something the way that someone would speak it to you in like a true honest clear yeah. voice and that just does take years that's why so many writers don't get to publish a book I found so Tiffany Haddish's book very easy to get through and I think that <laughs> that is was verbatim her stand-up yeah that's like she's talking. so she has I mean she has been honing that voice for yeah. literally decades on the stage to perfection and then you just write it down and it reads exactly like Tiffany Haddish is talking to you. And yeah. but that's something that like, there was a shit ton of work that went into that. A hundred percent. I agree with you guys. I was going to ask. So what do you, as I'm curious, as co-hosts of the podcast, do you guys split up certain like responsibilities or do you do almost everything together? How do you guys sort of manage it? We split it up. I think that's been our saving grace. If I were to give any two, some tips and be divvy up almost everything mm. and then let the other person like trust them to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And we have meetings to talk about the things that we obviously, we don't make decisions alone at all. We like meet probably once a week and it'll be like, okay. And then I'll send those emails or Claire will send those. Like we just like at the end when there's like an action item, which is like very businessy, but whenever there's something that needs to be done, we like end that conversation by being like, okay, by defining who's going to do it. Who's going to take care of it. Yeah. And like things like the, the mark, like TikTok, Instagram, all those posts, we try to brainstorm them together. Cause it does yeah. get tiring to like figure out. I'm sure. I think like a good example is we did used to fight a lot. So Ashley is really invested in merch in a way that like, I just am not. And I think I fucking love merch. I, if I could wear only merch, I, if I had to define my style, it's merch. <laughs> I love it. 
And so like there, are, so she just like owns the merch and because I like, if it were up to me, we just wouldn't even really have merch. So I'm just like, I don't care as long as we at least break even anything over breaking even it was her time. It was her choice. It's a win. And I think in that, like, we don't mm. necessarily have the same style of merch, but like, if we had like had to agree on every single t-shirt that came out, we would get mm. into a fight. And I'm just like happy for you. Like it means more to you. Listen, our next round of merch is going to be all airbrushing style a la the Jersey Shore Beach. And like, is that anything I would even allow to be on a list of things to be considered? No. If I had to be in the boardroom, that would, I would use a veto power, but ultimately I don't even care. I think I'm so excited about it. I could scream. I'm going to wear it every day. And I don't care. Like, I'm like, great. You do it, Ashley. And I think ultimately, I think one of those, you're going to have, I think something me and Ashley learn from working together so long is that two people can spend 24 hours a day together, talk about everything together, work on everything together. And then when you go to execute, how are we on such different pages? Mm. It is unbelievable. Like the infinite decisions that go into every decision. And so if you start having to agree on all of those, you're going to break up. Whereas I'm just like, you do your merch. At the end of the day, we have cute merch and it made money. People are wearing it. People are happy. Great. Like she's happy. And then we just have to like divide things up like that. And I think it saves you a lot of time and headache. How early did you guys start doing merch? We, so we did like a little like DIY kind of drop about eight months in. And I do, when I think back to it and how many listeners we had then, I'm like, oh my God, we thought we were crushing it. And it was fun and people were excited about it. And I was excited about it. I don't think the way we handled it was great. Ordered the t-shirts to my house and I individually mailed out each one, which was an undertaking. Not that I know anything about merch, but that sounds hard. It was an undertaking. post office that often. You wouldn't wish it on anybody. (laughs) I know. I mean, very luckily I live pretty close to a post office. (laughs) Because also, I mean, we're in New York. It's not like LA where you can just like throw a bunch of shit in your car and do a run like I was literally right to the post office with my arms full anyway and then about six months after that we did like a more effortful like put a lot more work into the design strategic a strategic I don't know I just put a lot more work into what it was going to look like and we like had a friend of ours who's like good at that stuff help us design she's like a professional graphic designer yeah and I'm not and then doing another drop coming up that's just gonna build a tiny bit on the previous stuff like Mm -hmm. add in a couple new elements like the old designs but now on like summerier things like adding in it because we dropped in November so now we're gonna add tank tops I mean you see how much she cares and I'm just like we don't yeah I love it and also anyone wants to have like a long conversation about merch hit me up on the side we'll do it I probably will at some point I could talk about it for days I'm obsessed and I also have like worked in retail and like yeah for a long time in the marketing department. So I feel like I do, I don't know. I just have a lot to say about it. Completely. And then how else do you guys sort of differentiate responsibilities or delegate really? Claire does the podcast editing. So we record every week and then she for, you know, content. And sometimes we go on long tangents. So we chop those out. And that's like another thing where I think we would have extremely different editing styles. I'm pretty much, Ashley likes it conversational. I like keeping it as quick as humanly possible. Like I will chop out every extra syllable that doesn't need to be there. And that's, what, and that's like another thing where it's like, it is, it's very time consuming the way I do it, but ultimately like, I don't know. I can't, you know what I mean? I think ultimately she's like, fine, if you care that much, you care that much. <laughs> I, now that we ventured into video editing or like videoing our podcast, which is like brand new to us, but now I've been editing like video clips. And then in the past, I was making like audiogram clips and like the graphics that we put on our social, you know, like whenever we do those like quote posts or things like that, those are on my end. And then we kind of split 
social like TikTok and stuff down the middle. Um, but like one of us will sometimes text the other one and be like, okay, we like need an Instagram story today. Do you have ideas? Can you post something Yeah, or something like that? We'll kind of like hit each other up for those types of things. And then I handle a lot of the more logistical things. Yeah. Like you emailed me. Budgeting and taxes. <laughs> oh, that's a whole other thing. Well, yeah. not necessarily oh, budgeting, but like handling our expenses. expenses. Yeah, her dad's an accountant, so unfortunately, by blood, <sighs> she got the she got the receipt but job. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't get the gene. I like got the job, but not the any of the skills to do it. I'm literally sitting there crying, and my dad's like, oh. "You can do it. Simple addition. What's five plus five? And I'm like, "Stop talking to me like that. <laughs> my feelings. <laughs> Um, so how do you guys manage to like, well, actually let's do the TikTok videos for a second. Do you guys batch the videos or do you guys just put a video up as you go? That would be so smart to batch them. And I think every week we go, I should sit down and bank. This is the week. Yeah. We always say that we're going to do that. We, and we literally will write out like, these are like five TikTok ideas for this week. So we could very easily just sit down, bang out five videos. I think a lot of the times it's when I'm like, walking around I've like showered for the day I think my hair looks fine I'll be like okay this is the time to throw a TikTok out so full disclosure with TikTok it has given us almost all of our success in the last three months we have been a hundred percent stagnant we've grown almost zero in three months which is jarring after growing to to almost 250k in a year grow zero in three months has been but I think it's like, if this is helpful to people you know what I mean like no one thing is going to carry you forever we are very much in a pivot time. And so historically our strategy has been keep it neutral, keep it straightforward, take little tidbits from the book and share them a la gossip. Part of that has been to combat the toxicity of like the TikTok comment section. We don't try to put any spin on it because people get so butthurt about their favorite celebrities. Mm. You just want to be like, here's what the celebrity said happened to them. You come up with your own opinions and then they come to the podcast and that's for for the opinions. Yeah, that's pretty good. People on TikTok are looking for something to be mad about constantly. There's so always like, don't give it to them. Yeah. Just give them the headlines. But now that is clearly not working as well as it used to. So we are in the pivot position and we are trying much harder because we want to stay within our lane. I think I something I like about us is that we're not just having an opinion on everything. I think we do try to grounded takes on things. And so yeah. I don't want to just here's my idea on fashion. I don't know anything about fashion. But so now we're trying more to get pop culture and like contemporary events involved by looking at things that happen with our memoirists, things like, you know, a Bella Hadid. I mean, I don't even want to talk about Will Smith. Like Will Smith. Yeah, exactly. I was just thinking that. Yeah. I mean, that ended up being exactly like what we're always trying to avoid is giving like the hottest take on that. Like everybody's like that. It was exactly where I'm like, I don't want to be the person that people come to Mm. for what happened five minutes ago, but like a Bella Hadid Vogue article, we could look and say, she got a nose job at 14. Let's look at what kind of mother she had. Like who is the person behind a 14 year old nose job? Right. We can like, go back to the podcast or like things like that. When Olivia mm-hmm. Munn had her baby, I'm like, well, who is Olivia Munn? So we do have a tent pole episodes. And so we are a hundred percent changing our new strategy into being like, how do we, we have this backlog of about 70 people we've read entire books on and they are still in the news. Mm-hmm. How do we pull today's info and give it 
background. Well, I'm so curious. Why not do that with like Will Smith? Like, for example, like when I read his book, I was telling someone recently because someone asked me about it. And I was like, well, I remember in the book that he said that, like, remember he and his brothers or he and his brother and sister had all had different reactions, like the fight, the flight, yeah. and he was freeze, which he didn't do on the Oscars. So I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, this is something that's so perfect for you guys to give light to because you've read his history but do you not want to like jump on it because it's just, it's first of all, so overly talked about already. And it's only been like four days. Like what are your thoughts? Jump on it (laughs) when it happened. And then, and then we felt like the takes got very exhaustive, very fast. I don't, there was like a lot of nuance around them that we was like, I get it. A lot of black women were coming out and being like, the takes are bad. get it. We were like, stop and hear what they have to say first. I think the way that we had hundreds of people DMing us and being like, you guys are completely right. Like he's a psychopath. I think that's the opposite of what we're trying to do is mm-hmm. like give fire fuel to people's somewhat racist takes of being like, he's an insane person who needs to be locked up. And we were like, right. This is the opposite. Like, of that's what not what I said. I don't want that yeah. put on us. I don't want to be a part. Like, I don't want to be it. the totally person you're that. pointing to that gives you the validation of making these statements. It clearly became mm. so much more about the discourse and the event itself. And like, we that. don't want to be the person, the people that allow you to make a black and white judgment on anything. So I think and that's also our whole effort has been to, and I don't think we always do the best job of it, but like whenever we ground ourselves back and like what we're trying to do, it's like to broaden the conversation around some really black and white topics, really delve into like why we think the things we think about like certain pop culture figures and things like that. So when we have those snap judgments about things, I feel like that's what we're like kind of trying not to do almost. And we like fall into it all the time by accident because yeah I mean definitely we have moments that I would not stand by like in a court of law like we definitely have our like manifesto or whatever and then I look at like we broke the Olivia Munn pregnancy news and I would say I mean 100% that's the opposite of what we claim to stand for we did it for the views it was hugely successful in helping us pay rent I don't I'm not gonna sit here and like defend that to the end of time like we did something noble we didn't and that is like what 100% what we're trying to get away from but I don't know nobody's perfect (laughs) Hey, paying rent. It is, is also what we're preaching. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, I, I'm sure there's a fine, like, you know, I, I understand sort of that balance and especially with certain moments of discord, you're just like, I, I, I can't, I have to stay a little away from this. So I completely get that. It's a fine, it's a fine line. You guys have to sort of finagle if you will. Okay. And then one last question. So about Patreon, how early did you start that? How much of your week is given to that? Not much. I mean, sometimes we'll watch a TV show or something. I mean, so our I whole sometimes it's a decent amount. Sometimes we like when we do interviews for Patreon specifically, we like put work into planning those and like watching and consuming new content, like doing research for takes on the Patreon. We put mm-hmm. I guess compared to the regular episodes, watching a TV show and then just chatting about it as opposed to like reading a book, outlining a book, talking about it for three hours, editing it down. I spend a lot of time editing it down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's and not a lot of this it. stuff is personal, right? Like a lot of your Patreon videos, I feel like are more personal than other things. Which memoirs, which people would you recommend as mentors for people for this podcast, for this audience? What do you think people should go out and read if you recommend that? So I was thinking about this. I think something very tricky about the celebrity memoir is people gravitate to the celebrities they know. If you know them, that means they're currently in the zeitgeist, which means that they probably have had a lot of success relatively early on. So you look at someone like Will Smith, for example, just because we've been talking about him. I mean, he 
I mean, he is probably one of the hardest workers in Hollywood, but he came out of high school with like a record deal. Do you know what I mean? He is not somebody that I find a lot of people we read. I find distinctly unrelatable as somebody who is now about to be 30 and is still fucking editing things myself because nobody else has yet to invest an inch of belief in us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think, you know, right now we're reading Mindy Kaling and she has like a cute little section about like all the shitty jobs she had before she got the office at 24 and she graduated college at 22. Oh. I can relate to somebody who was a staffed writer at 24 on one of the biggest TV shows of all time. Yeah, Most of the people we read are hitting the ground running early in their 20s when I was still, do you know what I mean? Like I would say I'm not yet 100%. And we're about to be 30 or she's 30. I'm about to be 30. Like Elvira is an example of somebody who did not get anything for a very long time. People who are older, I think those are the people you should gravitate mm. towards because it means they have a longer life. I don't know. I just feel like you have to find somebody who has had a life career and who like and- went through the shit. I'm trying to think who else we've read that like really bogged through it. Yeah. And I think that a lot of them really have like a sense that they bogged through it, which I think you've heard us like kind of rail against because it just is frustrating to read like a 22 year old and find like Janice Dickinson is a good example. She like for six mm-hmm. months hit the pavement searching for an agent. I was on the cover of Vogue after six months of trying and you're like, oh, tough. <laughs> really hard. Like, those six months must have been Oh really difficult. And now you're, you're a fucking old hag at 20. <laughs> I don't know. It was it, busy. Phillips is like, it was so hard after Freaks and Geeks only had one season. When was I going to start in another TV show? And you're like, yeah, I don't know. I can't imagine being 24 with only one season of a TV show. <laughs> like, it's just, that's hard for me. Like, we, I understand. I think this 2022 was the first year in my life. I was born in 92 that I've had anybody not actively, you should stop trying. <laughs> like I've had like not one. And yeah, it's only March. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've not yet w- had one suggestion that like this was going to succeed for me. And I feel like Ashley and I are both pretty stubborn and that we just like fucking keep at it. Yeah. So to hear all these celebrities be like, I never knew, like once I lost my Oscar, I didn't know if I'd ever bounce back. <laughs> and you're like, okay. <laughs> you're like, this is relatable. <laughs> who really slogged it out for years and I keep turning it around and coming back. And I, okay, Ashley's going to fight me on this one, but I've never disagreed with her more than on Josh Peck. Cause I actually mm. do think Josh Peck, even though he started so early, he is the, ex- like, he's a very good example of somebody who just kept fucking trying. I like, agree. Yeah. I know Ashley thinks he's entitled, but I think he's actually the opposite of entitled. He's somebody with the, that was started off hard and just kept decided that he was just going to keep at it no matter what. And like when he had to switch to Vine and then he had switched to YouTube, he did YouTube yeah. for a year and it wasn't going good. He switched it like to be doing something every, to do a YouTube every week for a year is hard and yeah. to do it and not be successful. And then be like, well, I'll just try a different strategy. I actually do think that that is like an admirable journey of somebody yeah. who won't take no for an answer and is happy to pivot. And I respect that about him. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I, I, like I said, I just need to preface. I'm only on page 99. So it's a little less than halfway through. So I haven't even gotten to the YouTube vine part. I will yeah. say though, I saw him speak. He did an interview with Brian Koppelman, like the showrunner of billions or whatever. And, you know, hearing his stories was actually incredible. So he's a really great storyteller in person. Um, Not that he's a terrible writer. It just feels like in person, I, I felt like I was hearing the stories and visualizing them more. Very effortful writer. And I think that there's something about his energy that I really despised. And I had a really hard time separating anything he said from like the way that I felt about him. And I will stand by that. I do think yeah. like, there's going to be a Josh Peck reckoning. I fucking, 
I'm right. You think something's going to come out of the woodwork? Could be a bad person, Ashley. I'm just saying you cannot call him entitled. He is the definition of somebody who kept trying hard. Mm, don't He's been supporting think that his mom not. since he yeah. was 12. No, and I I did appreciate the fact that like I I mean I think the same realization you guys had on the podcast like I didn't know that you know his show didn't have any residuals like that's insane to me that like the money he it was like having a buyout like it feels like you know you just he had that like moment on this like huge show and then nothing afterwards to like sustain him that like at whatever age he was that's like pretty scary that's like to kind of think to yourself well, like how do I get to the next thing at that age especially if you're like used to doing something like that at a young age. I can't imagine, but you're right. I do. Th- I do give him credit that he kept going up. He kept being like, okay, I have to, and, and in person, he was saying the first year he would get like a hundred views on a video. Like he just wouldn't get anybody to see it until he had one video that kind of just went viral and it changed everything for him. So like I said, I haven't gotten to that part of the book yet, but. Well, he had uh, his first video popped off. His first okay. YouTube video was quite big okay so he got a bunch of subscribers from that and then they just didn't care about the rest of his content so then he was just not he was getting hundreds probably hundred like probably thousands of views on every video and they just weren't talking about vine though yeah there's no no, he was getting hundreds anyway it doesn't matter yeah yeah fair who else though like anybody else like i i've read uh demi moore's book what did you guys think of her because i didn't hear your episode yet i was starting your episode with demi moore and then we read that like over a year ago Mm -hmm. i mean i think that that was less for me like a a career inspiration i think she's another person who it kind of she was in it early she was one of those la kids who went to that high school that everyone went to yeah for me she was more of an example of somebody like how hard we are on people a reminder that at the end of the day this is like an individual with human with feelings which is something that i think people have a hard time remembering yeah. I do. I mean, I think you're like, oh, there's celebrity that can take it, but like a celebrity is a person. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think for the most part, a lot of these, a lot of celebrity memoirs I've read, I feel like there's always something you can take from it, except maybe Rob Lowe's. I felt like Rob Lowe's, I couldn't take too much from that. I wasn't like, oh, there's this inspiring thing I got from Rob Lowe's memoir. No, Rob Lowe's sucked. <laughs> oh God. I mean, yeah, Rob Lowe's <laughs> was just like a compilation of name drops yeah it was it was was like a whole thing of narcissism it was crazy the fact that like I remember he said something about like when he was on the west wing and he got like for whatever he was talking about how everyone was like it was your show and then like Aaron Sorkin was like defending me and I was like I I mean the reason why they kicked you off was cool anyone else stick I think Tiffany Haddish is super inspiring both as like how she approached her career at some point as well as a person Um, I think Gabrielle Union's a really good mentor because that one I think she has a really, a couple of really good like realizations throughout. And I think, I think her and Drew Barrymore are two people who like have made active choices, push away their instinct of clawing to the top in this way. I mean, yeah, yeah really, you know, they're both examples huh? of like people who have chosen to try to better themselves. Yeah. So Gabrielle Union like directly addresses having a reputation as like kind of a mean girl and her impulse to like when she sees an actor, an actress that looks like her, who's quite a bit younger than her. She talks about specifically like burying her impulse to be like, I don't want to give this girl any tips. I don't want to give her like the opportunity to become the new younger me. And then she's like, no way. Why can't we both exist? And I think that those types of stories are really important to read because I think everyone acting like they don't think that way is... Mm. Silly. <laughs> I love it. And then anything from the Nikki and Brie Bella. I, I haven't read the Bella one. So I wanted to ask about that. 
I have to say, I think that one has been very helpful to me and Ashley as people, something about the stand-up comedy world, specifically in New York, is this extremely hierarchical, very gate-capped, and there's like a real mm-hmm. like purity culture around it of like the dues that need to be paid, the ladder that needs to be climbed. The right way to do things. There's such a, there's such a correct way to do this like made up thing. And ironically, I think that really exists in WWE, like for like, it's super prescribed how you're allowed to be in the WWE and the way that Brie and Nikki Bella didn't know anything about the WWE actually allowed them to be successful because they weren't caught up in the nonsense politics and the bullshit, like Mm. journey that you're supposed to go on. And that allowed them to just come in and be successful. And I think that Ashley and I, like that's helpful to us. We are people who are very caught up in the approval of certain small gatekeeping communities that like ultimately don't mean anything. And it's like, go to your bigger audience, stop getting all upset about six people in Bushwick and what they think about you and like (laughs) be as successful as you can be. Do you feel like podcast has helped with like getting more people to see your shows? Or I know you guys are also doing live, live shows sometimes with the podcast. Do you feel like that's all kind of slowly starting to like affect each other yeah we're definitely um it's definitely helping us get an audience for the other things that we like doing it's been great for that good well I'll have to come see you guys because you're not too far I'm in Brooklyn as well so I, I should make it out but yeah, guys, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for being on the podcast. I learned so much from both of you and definitely check out Celebrity Memoir Book Club podcast. And uh, how can people find you? So we're Celebrity Memoir Book Club everywhere on Instagram and on TikTok. And then I am Claire the Scare on Instagram and on TikTok. And then I'm Ashley Ham with three M's. Yes. And then I think it's Ashley Ham six on TikTok. Cool. Excellent. Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you haven't yet, do me a favor. Drop a five-star review. Follow on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And find me on Instagram. I'm at at Michelle Simone Miller and at Mentors on the Mic. Share this in your stories. Let me know what you think. Share it with a friend. And I'll see you next time. 